0: Before we start the show, I wanted to shout out to all the women founders who are listening. Following the success of Scale's first Empower Ed program back in April, Scale Investors has now opened applications for Cohort 2, which starts on the 9th of August. If you're a woman founder and want direct access to the secrets of how to secure the funding you need to build a thriving business from the experts of Australia's startup ecosystem – and connection to Scales Investor Network, then sign up today. All founders can use discount code CONNECT2CAPITAL for a 25% scholarship. This brings the 10-week program down to $650. That's $65 per week, including weekly mentoring, resources, connections, and much, much more. It takes 10 minutes to apply, and there's a link right in the show notes. Let's empower you to connect to the capital that you need. Welcome to Connect to Capital, the podcast brought to you by Scale Investors. I'm your host, Catherine Robson, Chair of the Scale Investors Board. Our vision at Scale Investors is to create a world where gender does not limit access to capital. We do that by putting our money where our mouth is and investing in outstanding women founders. But even more than that, we know the transformational power of collaboration and we are passionate about connecting founders with the advice, education and deep network that will enable them to thrive. In this podcast, we interview Australia's most successful and thoughtful venture investors because we believe that knowledge is power and education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. We hope you love this conversation and are as excited as we are about giving all entrepreneurs the opportunity to create a better future. It's time to open access. Alexandra Colonies Ross wanted to be lots of things when she was growing up a doctor, a lawyer, an actress, and a journalist. As the Portfolio Manager of Artesian's Clean Energy and Climate Tech VC Funds and also the Portfolio Manager of the Female Leaders Venture Fund, she's sort of found a way to be a bit of all those things. She's built a formidable network of scientists and technical experts to help her cover the enormous span of investment opportunities she sees, from solving intractable medical problems to finding commercial solutions to some of our most pressing climate challenges. Allie is an enthusiastic optimist and a supporter of all those who are early in their journey as entrepreneurs or venture investors. She co-hosts Artesian's Art House podcast and her enthusiasm is infectious. Hi Ali. how are you going? Good, how are you Catherine? I'm excellent. So I've been so looking forward to this conversation because you're the investment manager of one of my favourite all-time venture funds. But before we talk about that, I was really keen to explore your background, probably start with when you were little, what did you want to be when you were growing up?
1: Mm, A lot of things, I think, which probably bodes well into my career in venture, because you look at a lot of things. I think I wanted to be a doctor for a really long time. And then I wanted to be a, a journalist. I think I probably wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be an engineer. I ended up going and doing business, uh, which was very general. Oh, I also wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a human rights lawyer, actually. That was one of my, one of my buckets. But I ended up, yeah, in VC. I think I like a whole lot of things and I like having different interests, different hobbies, like even, you know, beyond venture still today. So I think I always liked to have a little bit of everything and like be that sort of generalist across lots of different topics, which works very well in venture because you're looking at a lot of different businesses. You're meeting lots of different people who have such different backgrounds. Yeah. So I never had a one thing. I foresaw myself as, as many different things over my over my childhood.
0: Well, I was fascinated that as part of your education, you spent some time in China. Why was that of appeal? I did my,
1: my undergrad, I did commerce. And then I, then at that point, I was like, I think I want to be a lawyer. You know, I finished uni. And I think my mum said, look, just go and do a master's of business law instead of doing the whole JD, which was very good advice at the time. She said, you know, you just don't know if you want to do it, just go and try it, don't commit to the whole degree. And so as part of my master's of business law, I did Chinese legal systems in Shanghai, one of the universities there. I think I was fascinated with Asia. I mean, it's such a booming market. Um, it's very different to you know, Western cultures, the way they think their, you know, legal structures, the way they buy things, like lots of different sort of consumer sentiments and and consumer behaviours. So I had, I think I had the option to go to like New York or China. And I thought, I've never been to China, you know, been in other places in Asia, but I was like, obviously, you know, giant economy and growing and very close to Australia. And I thought, you know, why not? I'll go over there and see see how things go and I just loved it. I found it so fascinating learning from all of the different professors over there, digging into how to do business in China as well as like going through the constitution. Um, it was really, really, really interesting.
0: And were there any sort of preconceptions you had about China or doing business in China that was sort of reshaped by actually being there? Because I think lots of Australians have a sort of negative Narrative in their mind about China and doing business there?
1: You know, I was 22, so I was pretty young. You know, I kind of knew about the complexities, but I think I didn't really understand actually the complexities of doing and the structures and how you kind of put the structures in place and how you domicile those structures to ensure that you can do business in China. And so I think it was a bit of an eye opener. I think I was probably a little bit naive. I hadn't really gone in with you know, preconceived ideas. So that was really interesting. I think they had a really wide range of professors as well, which really opened my eyes. Like they had some, you know, business people out of Hong Kong who run massive businesses, but then they had some China mainland professors who are really focused on the constitution and how their laws work in, in general and the history behind Chinese laws and how how it's sort of come to where we are today. So not really, but I think that was just naivety and being young, and you know, not knowing that much about the world. Not that I know a lot about it now, but
0: um, yeah. I mean, I can imagine there's not many graduates who even know what venture is, even now. You know, you know, venture's got a, a much broader appreciation. But how did you manage to land a role at Artesian? Yeah, so I actually was sort of trying my own startup,
1: if I can even say that, because it was a concept that I was then trying to, I'm I'm not technical. So I had a developer kind of working on it and I'd worked out the business model and the plan and whatnot. And then, you know, as a VC, I would never have invested in it now, knowing what I know. But I think, you know, I kind of like this innovative space. I had done a big paper in my last year of my undergrad on regulation and Australia's Um, regulatory environment and how it impacts innovation. And also like the cultural risk aversion that Australians can typically have, you know, the concept of Australia having like the nanny state element and, and how that actually, you know, do we accept failure and do we accept risk and all of those things. So from a cultural perspective and then from a legal regulatory perspective. And so I did that paper and then I kind of dug into that world. And I don't think I really did know what venture was when I started the business. I'm not sure if I even knew it was like a tech startup and what that actually meant, but I think that's what kind of landed my role. Vicky Lay, who's one of our partners now, she hired me when I started my postgrad so I, I originally started artesian, I was still studying my postgrad and she like dug into this you know idea I had and why I had it, and you know how I was going to build it and I think from there she was like, "Oh, you know she's got an interesting different background, and you know I'd, I'd really focus on the kind of legal stuff and then I had this startup idea that would have failed or it might not have failed it it wasn't that bad but what was the idea? It was it was like Uber for pets, but like for walking dogs. But the actual unit economics of it was really hard. And also like how many people want to just be like, oh, yeah, I'll go and walk someone's random dog now, like. I thought there was a real problem on the person who owned the pet side, but like the other side of the marketplace was a bit tricky. And then I was like, maybe I'll do hotels. And then I realized there were actually, you know, a couple of other big players in the space. So um, I had a full-on app that I'd like, but that was kind of it. It didn't get much further than that.
0: (laughs) You know, you started Artesian, you've worked your way up to become a portfolio manager. And I think arguably you work in the sort of most interesting part of Artesian, the sort of clean energy, climate tech, and then, you know, sort of empowering women founders in the Female Leaders Venture Fund. How did you progress to, to those areas in particular? When I started at Artesian, we had just
1: launched our clean energy seed fund. So a lot of my stuff actually ironically came from uni. I was doing in my master's international environmental law. So I was really into the climate space, um, Paris Agreement. It was around, I think it was 2015. Oh, it was 2016 when I was doing my master's. So 2015, like Paris Agreement had just kind of come in and I was really interested in the concept of, again, law and regulation and how they solve these big problems. And so I had the climate. So I think I put my hand up for the climate. I think we had, you know, medtech and ag and food. Um, and I said, you know, I'd like to do the climate one and be, be the analyst on that fund. And I love that space. I just love it. It's just so fascinating. These founders are just unbelievably impressive. And the problems that they're solving are huge. And, you know, technology has, you know, the way that legal structures do as well, but has a real ability to solve a lot of these problems. But it has that kind of deflationary impact, particularly on infrastructure that we're going to need for the future or energy transition. So, I loved that. I didn't, you know, I didn't have an engineering background, so I upskilled on different things. I built a big network of, you know, uni professors and people who did have deep technical expertise in the space. And, you know, now actually use, we've got a lot of our founders who are experts in their respective fields. So they always point me in the right direction as well. If there's a new technology that I don't know as much about. Yeah, I, I loved that. And then Obviously, being a woman in venture, I'm very passionate about funding female founders. I'm very excited to work on the Female Leaders Fund, and, and I've only been working on that for you know six months or so. So, we've met so many amazing female founders so far. Yeah, that's obviously always a passion promoting female entrepreneurship.
0: Yeah, so you've opened the door there, which is great because <laughs> I I'm, I'm so keen to talk about the fund because we're partners in crime a little yes. bit. because I'm a collaborator. And an investment involved. committee
1: member, so. <laughs> I
0: was, exactly. So um, I have the opportunity to see some of the great work that you guys are doing as you assess the pipeline. Can you tell us a bit about the fund design and why that's important in terms of actually having the capacity to deliver to the mission of empowering female entrepreneurs? We're targeting series A and
1: B companies and we're looking at funding companies with diverse teams. So we have a sort of gender assessment criteria that we use where we're looking at the founding team, the executive level, the board level, and then the company's policies or their willingness to put in place policies that encourage diversity. I think that's really important when you look at some of the numbers around female founders. I think female only founding teams are getting around 3% of venture funding. They get about half of the round sizes of that of male-only founders, females and employees are getting around 11% of equity in ESOP. So when we look at some of these numbers, you know, if we're transitioning our economy towards technology and technologies are going to be the big businesses of the future, if we don't have women leading these businesses, we're going to in 10, 15 years time have the same issues that we have today of gender inequality at the ASX 200 level, at the board level of those companies. And, you know, similarly, women aren't getting access to that wealth and the equity that they could through those companies. So, it recycles back. So if those people become the high net worth individuals and and the family offices of tomorrow, they become the angel investors and they look and invest in similar people to them, other women. And you know it creates that sort of ecosystem and stimulates the ecosystem. So that's really what the fund's all about: funding you know the top companies. It's in the region, so Australia, New Zealand, and Asia Pac. Yeah, we're really excited about it. We've seen some amazing
0: founders
1: so far.
0: One of the things I really like is that it's actually designed a framework to assess whether a company genuinely has a commitment and representation of women in the leadership of the company. Can you talk a little bit about that framework? Because I think the idea that that might become a bit of an industry standard Mm. is quite appealing. So it's not sort of just like, Gender diversity, in the eye of the beholder, you know, there's one woman who's in quite a junior role and, you know, everyone tries to claim that that's delivering diversity. So tell us a bit about how that framework works.
1: It's most heavily skewed, I guess, to the founding team. So looking at, is there a female founder? And does that female founder have equal equity stake to the male founders? In, if there are male founders, it could be a fully female founded team, or it might be, she might be a sole founder, but we don't want to have situations, you know, as you said, where the male founder has like a lot more equity than the female founder, we want to create that sort of level of equality. So we take into consideration that sort of ratio. And then at the executive level, similarly, we look at the the percentage of women at the executive level, you know, there might be somewhere, okay, the founding team's really strong, executives not as strong, board's good, and they're committed. So it might all weigh up. And and look, we really want to work with companies to kind of help them put in place the right policies that allow them to keep women in the workforce and keep women in these tech companies and promote gender equality within that business. So it's all a learning curve. Nobody's perfect. Like we're not perfect yet. You know, we're learning as well. The startups are learning you know, most of them are really excited to kind of work with us and we can help them sort of think about how to put those elements in place. We want this sort of score to become like an industry norm of how you assess. It's almost like an automatic filter and like you can at least benchmark then and say, okay, at their next round, have they improved that score or have they deteriorated and why? And, you know, what do we need to put in place to improve that? So, So far, so good. So far, most of the companies we've had have actually reached that target and ones that haven't are very willing to work to ensure that they can increase their score.
0: And I think the score in my mind is as much about actually solving for what makes really good business sense. Oh yeah, 100%. As much as what feels good and what might be a sort of social nice to have.
1: Yeah. I mean, diverse teams outperform the market, and having diversity in people, in thought, creates better business decisions. So it's, it's smart business. It is a good business decision to include women in the workforce. And I think that's important. And look, everyone, most people know this. So it, it is. Um, but look, I think it would be great to kind of
0: see the fund and have the proof in, in the pudding. So tell us about companies that you're really excited about, either in the female letters um, venture Fund or or
1: in the clean tech space? So Female Leaders Fund, we're about to make our first investment. So we haven't released that one yet. So I'll, um, I might keep quiet on that one. And you know, people will see that one released shortly. Clean Energy, there's a lot. Look, I love 5B. They're doing their rapid solar deployment. They're doing some really amazing things in reducing the cost of solar deployment. They're working with Sun Cable on their big project in Darwin where they're looking to export renewable energy to Singapore and Indonesia. I'm really excited about Sukona. That's another great one in our portfolio. They have um, a new battery material to increase the energy density of lithium-ion batteries for EVs. They're a Wollongong-based company, so they've got their pilot facility in Wollongong, which is great to see new technologies coming out of the region. The list could go on. There's lots to talk about. And look, I think climate, it's a hard space to invest in. It's not easy. The nature of solving climate change is not necessarily SaaS based. So, yes, of course, there can be software platforms and there are some amazing software platforms out there. You know, we've got some great ones in our portfolio, but you often do need to invest in hardware or deep textile solutions because we need to create better or cheaper ways to generate or cheaper ways to store, cheaper ways to transport or better ways to transport renewable energy and then deploy it. So there's problems across the whole supply chain that we can make more efficient and technology is a great way to do that.
0: If this week's guest has you wondering about funding for your venture, don't forget your 25% scholarship for this August's EmpowerEd cohort and it's just a 10-minute application away. The link is in the show notes. Now back to the interview. One of the things I love about your career is it's clear that you've taken what you know and then broadened it into the areas that are of interest and of relevance and that sort of in lots of ways in my mind illustrates what's great about venture. You know, no one can be an expert on everything and there's not sort of calcified structures in place, you know, necessarily. There's no one path to become a partner in a venture firm. So in that context, with that fluidity, why do you think women are so poorly represented as investors in the venture community?
1: To date in Australia, you know, venture has been emerging. As I kind of said, like I came straight out of uni And I didn't really know what it was. I kind of saw this job online, was like, that sounds cool. I like innovation. I like tech. I think networks are one thing. So, you know, maybe women don't necessarily have the same networks or they don't know people. I guess the whole idea as well, if you don't see people doing it who look like you, then you're not sure if you can get there. So that there's that element to it. And I do really think that that's changing. There's really strong VC network of women in Australia that's emerging. It's fantastic to see. And, uh, you know, I love catching up with all my, like, female friends in, in VC. And I do think that that's a really, we're a growing group of people. Um, and there's a real sort of sense of community and support across that group. I don't know, maybe women coming through STEM roles, coming into finance, like women often think they have to, because you are a generalist and there's some things you don't know, like sometimes women think they need to know everything and they like want to tick all the boxes, but no one knows everything. (laughs) So I think coming in and being like, okay, I might not know Some parts of technology, or I might not know how to do financial models, or I might not know how to do this. Like, that's okay. You'll learn on the job, you'll be trained. It sometimes maybe seems like you have to be like across everything, and and you just don't. So maybe that's an element. So I think, yeah, networks, seeing those role models, and then women wanting to sort of check all the boxes.
0: I think you've been fantastic at building networks. And as you said, you know, building networks that are mutually beneficial. I'm sure, you know, that community. In universities and the scientific community really love being able to share their insight with investors who are going to do something meaningful with them and and you've made networks in the venture community itself. Any tips for how to build a strong network? I'm an extrovert
1: so I do. (laughs) um, In some ways I just I love chatting to people and I'll put my hand up and do the events and do, but, you know, not everyone is like that. But I do think in the venture community, a lot of people reach out to me cold and will say, oh, I saw you are connected with so-and-so on LinkedIn and I'm not sure about venture. Would you mind having a coffee? And, you know, I reckon I always (laughs) say yes. I actually don't think I've ever said no to anyone on that. So I think reach out to people you know, reach out cold to people. Sometimes someone won't won't reply, but if you've reached out to five people and one person does, you know, that person then asks them to introduce you to someone else. And you kind of build up a bit of a network from there. Go to all the events. I think at the start of my career, I did everything. I like went to every single event. I went and met with all, I had coffees with all the other VCs. I like tried to kind of really get out there and meet lots of people. And really, I mean, I had to build like a massive pipeline as well of, of startups. So meeting the startups and, and kind of getting out there and making sure that you can kind of get those connections and try to make out of every connection, try to get at least one intro or two intros from that person, because that really helps you. And look, then slowly people want to introduce someone else to you and then, you know, you get it both ways. So I think just go out there and say yes to everything. When you're early on in your career, which I still am as well, doing everything without burning out, but really, you know, putting yourself out there and going to the events and chatting to people that you don't know. I mean, many a time I'd go to an event going, oh my God, I don't know anyone. Okay. I'm going to walk up to this little group. Hello. Like, nice to meet you. (laughs) I'm Ali. And people are just like, yeah, cool. I've come to meet
0: others as well. So
1: everyone's super friendly.
0: That's one of the really attractive bits of the innovation sector that, that collaboration is a necessity. You know, as you said, no one knows it all. I don't think anyone can think that they can dominate, you know, investment because that collaboration is something that that's really necessary. You make it sound like it's all really fun. Is there, is there bits that you find more difficult? You know, what are the challenging bits of your job? I mean, you're saying no
1: to a lot of founders. At the end of the day, you know, you're assessing hundreds of startups. You can't invest in all of those. So mostly you are saying, go and do X, Y, Z and come back to us or, you know, we'd really need to see this or so or you don't fit our mandate quite right now. You're not at the right stage. So there's a lot of no's. I found that really hard, I think, at the start of my career because I just felt so emotionally invested and founders are so emotionally invested in their, their startups. Like that's their baby. They've worked so hard for that. So I find that, you know, challenging. And at the end of the day, sometimes it's like that's our opinion, that's not the founder's opinion and that's fine. Like not it's not always gonna be complete
0: alignment, but yeah, I think that's pretty hard. Any mistakes or missteps that you've made that you're happy to share, either as an investor or or just generally that you feel like you've really learned from? Oh heaps,
1: heaps. Um trying to think of an actual example. I mean I learn a lot from the startup founders founders are so intelligent they're hustlers they know what they're do- like they're going out there I think one of the things I learned or I tried to learn early on was like setting my own way of interacting with founders like everyone wants to interact with them different it's like quite a personal relationship it's it's front office role you know sticking to your guns on how you want to let down a startup or how you want to provide feedback or how uh, you want to interact with the startup because everyone has their different language and their different flavor and so that was something that I I kind of I guess learned early on and I think being that authentic self which I think people respect that being honest with people and and giving strong feedback I think that was good but yeah I've I mean I've made lots of mishaps you learn quickly you fail fast in this industry and you know, get up and start again.
0: Are there things that people find out about you that they're surprised about? Anything that is um What an interesting question. Mm. Um share your deepest darkest secret. In terms of what? In terms of like um like Yeah, I think, you know, people to to that point about, you know, you have a way that's authentic to you. I think sometimes people have a preconception about, you know, all of us, you know, is it, yeah. as you get to know people better when they find out something about you, they go, wow, I would never have expected that Ali was a dot, 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 or, you know, has done something in her life.
1: I'm quite creative. I like painting. I did stand-up comedy once. Those are probably unusual factors about me, but more on a, like, hobby side. One of my startups said to me that they think that when I'm in a situation, like there's often a lot of parties when you're negotiating and they think that I always try to ensure that I like try to work how everyone, everyone has different perspective and like, how can we actually all win in this situation? Actually, I think people who know me would know that that's not unusual. But um, yeah, I think that was something that like, I was really surprised, like how you kind of navigated that. I don't have two heads or anything like that. You're not that, scary so. and you like nothing to t- chat to people. Nothing too exciting. <laughs> um,
0: what's the best advice you've received over time?
1: Stay in your lane. I don't know if this is a female trait or just like a enthusiastic young person in an in exciting field trait. Sometimes you can be like, everything, I have to do everything, I have... I mean, I was just saying five seconds ago, go to every event and do it all and whatnot. And, but sometimes I like, oh, well, I've got to fix that and I've got to do this and I've got to stay in your lane, like focus on what you've got to focus on. There's a lot of noise in this space. You know, there's a lot of people doing a lot of things. Sometimes it sounds like, you know, you're missing out or you, you're thinking about this theme and they should be thinking about that theme. And now, you know, this area is really exciting or this sector, but stay in your lane, what you're interested in, go deep on that and you know you're going to be a generalist but if you have two things that you're really deep on or have that strength I think even though it might not be the fashionable thematic at that time it will come back in fashion so I think just having that like focus um, because I think it's really easy in this industry to get distracted by lots of different things and I think having that focus creates longevity in your career and in your role.
0: people who've been role models for you that have mentored you, helped you either directly or from afar that that you'd call out?
1: Well, Vicky Lay, she is one of the artesian partners. So Vicky hired me when I was 22, like just fresh out of uni. And Vicky's been an like awesome role model. She's super, super passionate about female entrepreneurship. She has her own not-for-profit called She Syndicate that she started. She's really sort of advocated in this space. She's a really hard worker. She's, you know, she kind of gave me those frameworks up front on like how to run a meeting, how to get something out of it, how to like ensure that you've, you know, got action items and you're moving forward. So Vicky's been an amazing role model, you know, and there's been a few other women in my life, you know, I'll say, oh, can we have coffee and breakfast? And I'll just have a, like a bit of a rant if I'm feeling like, I'm not progressing in the way I wanted to or haven't done well in something and it's good to just kind of get that perspective and be like, hey, use this, this and this and you'll be fine. So, uh, yeah, I've been really lucky. And, and look, the partners in my firm as well, Beyond Vicky, Gilles and Luke, um, I've worked really, really closely with and, like, they've been amazing mentors for me as well.
0: What about books? I know you're a big fiction reader. <laughs> what What are some of your favourites?
1: I am a fiction reader. For those listening, I was just saying to Catherine before the podcast, like, oh, you've got this question about books. I only love fiction. And, you know, my nonfiction reading, or I like to listen, listen to like nonfiction podcasts or, or read like articles. And so I've got to get on my Kindle. On the nonfiction side, for people who are interested in clean energy, the Roscar No Book, Australia's a Superpower. Australia's Low Carbon Opportunity, that's really interesting. It's written a few years ago now, so, you know, everything kind of changes, obviously, as the government changes and regulation changes and whatnot. But I think for clean energy buffs, that's a good book. I'm reading at the moment, which I'm loving, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. don't know if anyone's read that one. It's really good. I think it's, like, based on Elizabeth Taylor. That's fiction. I like Sally Rooney's stuff, Normal people. I read a lot of, a lot of fiction. So um, oh, Tattooist of Auschwitz was really good. I'm just going through, through my reading list. It
0: opens your mind, as you said, I think. Well, I was sharing with Ali that um, the chair of one of my boards was getting me in trouble the other day about not reading fiction because it's where you sort of learn the most about human, human nature and human beings.
1: Yeah. What about
0: Podcasts
1: you a listener as well? Podcast, yeah. I, I really like, so podcast is probably where I get my work-related stuff. I really like Acquired. Mm. Um, that's one where they do sort of a deep dive on businesses and the history of businesses. That's really good. I really like Pivot. Scott Galloway and just, Cara Swisher. Uh, yeah, yeah, Cara Swisher. I, I do really like that one. Artisan have our own podcast, the Art House podcast. I don't listen to it because I hate the sound of my own voice, but you can check that one out. I also like The Daily by the New York Times, that's good, and some of the Axios ones. Oh, and Energy Insiders, the Renew Economy podcast for any renewable energy interested people out there. Yeah, it's hard in a day to get through all of this stuff. I'm not going to pretend that I listen to six podcasts in the morning before I get to work, but you know, I'm definitely listening, trying to listen to one a day. <laughs>
0: Um, What about productivity? Anything that you would recommend that helps you be productive?
1: Very basic booking focus time and like actually having it in your calendar and writing what you're going to do. And I like also writing, I like handwriting stuff. So I have my book and I'll say this one I'm doing in the week. You always underestimate what you can do in a week and overestimate what you can do in a day. So putting it as the week and then having your focus time of, okay, I'm going to have those three hours, those three hours, those three hours. I think with VC as well, like you have so many meetings, meeting lots of startups. So it's good to, you know, put that aside. That's how I like to work. And then there's obviously softwares that you can use. I mean, I like Notion. For notes, sometimes I think a good old-fashioned list is helpful. It's not very tech tech VC of me, but...
0: <laughs> no, but it, I mean, go with what works, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs thinking about raising capital?
1: Depends how much you know about it. Like some founders, you know, know a lot and some founders are not sure about anything. So if, you, if you're not sure and you don't know how to approach it, you know, how to pitch, go and just ask for a coffee or like set, go to an office hours or chat with somebody that you know in the space just to get a bit of a feel for like what a VC would be looking for. And what stage? So lots of VCs look at different stages. So do research on the investor, like what stage are they looking for? Do they have a a specific type of business model or sector? So some VCs, obviously, you know, we have our climate fund, our ag fund, our med tech fund, and our female leaders. And we also do agnostic tech across early stage. Some funds just do B2B SaaS, and at a certain stage. So, you know, make sure you've done your research and you understand what that that investor's looking for.
0: And if you don't know much, how do you find that out?
1: Cold DM somebody. Like I actually have sometimes coffees with people who are like, hey, particularly for the female leaders fund, like a lot of women have come to me and said, I'm not ready yet. I know I'm not ready. I might be ready in six to 12 months. What are you looking for? What do I need to do? And I'll go, okay, do your pitch. Yep, yeah, you need to get tick this box. This is what I would focus on and, you know, just kind of f- help people in the right direction. You could do an accelerator as well. There's lots of like programs you can look at or you can get, if you're, you know, early stage, you could get great angels on board. I mean, obviously shout out to scale, but you can go to angel networks and often those angels want to be quite active in your business as well. So There's lots of opportunities. Go to some meetups, meet more people, meet other entrepreneurs in the space. People at meetups, for startups, depending on, you know, there's ones for Web3, there's ones for Climate, et cetera. There'll be investors there. There'll be entrepreneurs there. You can learn from those people. So once you're kind of in the ecosystem, it's easy. You start to, you know, meet more people, but just getting in is a little bit hard. So there's lots of stuff out there.
0: And last question, what are you really excited or optimistic about?
1: I'm really optimistic about the number of people who want to use technology to change something about the world, whether or not that's climate change or gender equality or food security. There's a lot of negativity that we hear online and, you know, through the news, through the media. And when you hear these incredibly smart people pitch businesses that are incredible, you know, you're optimistic about humanity <laughs> to get very deep and our trajectory. So I, I think there's a lot of people doing some amazing things and risking it all. It's it's a risky business doing a startup, putting their livelihood, their time on the line to to do something that could really have a massive impact on the world. So I'm excited about that.
0: Well your enthusiasm is Always infectious, and I really enjoy <laughs> having the opportunity to collaborate with you on the Female Leaders Fund. So, thank you for spending time with us, and I'm definitely going to listen to you on the Art House Podcast because oh. I reckon you've got a voice that's just perfect for Please podcasts. don't.
1: I I tried to listen to the first one and was like, oh no, I'm not listening to that again. <laughs> <laughs> but it is good. The startups are good. Yeah. <laughs> All
0: right. Brilliant. Thanks, to to you thanks, Catherine.
1: Ellen. Speak soon. Bye.
0: We hope you loved today's conversation as much as we did and are fired up to take your startup journey to the next level. As an investment network founded by women, no one better understands what it takes for women led startups to thrive like Scale Investors. We believe education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. That's why we created Scale Educated, an education platform with online courses for both founders and investors. If you're a woman founder, Scale has two education programs. Scale Founded, a five-day short course combining one-hour live webinar sessions delivered by experienced investors and founders, access to an online education platform and the opportunity to network with trailblazing women entrepreneurs. Scale Founded is launching in February 2022. The other exciting program is Scale Empowered, a 10-week facilitated series, an opportunity to put your learnings into the context of your own startup with a cohort of incredible women entrepreneurs by your side. You can find all of the information and register on our website, www.scaleinvestors.com.au